Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. John Mulaney is a comedian who originally hails from Chicago, but currently calls Los Angeles home. One of the most gifted comedic voices of his generation and a brilliant stand-up, Mulaney wrote for Saturday Night Live between 2008 and 2014, co-creating memorable characters like Bill Hader's Stefan. Recently, he and Nick Kroll conceived of a pair of elder, opinionated New Yorker characters in a stage show called Oh Hello, which they took to Broadway and filmed for a new Netflix special which debuts June 13th. His own 2015 stand-up special for Netflix, The Comeback Kid, is coming to vinyl, CD, and MP3 in June as well, courtesy of Drag City Records. And he's touring his new show, Kid Gorgeous, across North America, including stops in Western Canadian cities and a stand at Just for Laughs in Montreal this July. John and I caught up recently to discuss most of the aforementioned projects and people, as well as Jerry Seinfeld, Donald Trump, the Obamas, comedy's role in the current political climate, Seth Meyers. That time, John met Bill Clinton when John was just a kid in 1992. Another new show he's making with Nick Kroll, music, and much more. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, Here's John Mulaney on the 322nd episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, John. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for being uh, with me today. Uh, first of all, where are you? I am in my sort of garage office in Los Angeles, California, where I live part of the time. And uh, I'm sort of in between legs of this tour I'm on. So I'm here for three more nights and then I leave again. Oh, man. Is, is, how's the road going for you? Is it, is it a hard well, road? Four nights of it. So uh, as, of, as of today, um, I've only been gone for about a week uh, total. Uh, so far, so good. 
Good. And I like it a lot. I like traveling. Um, it's uh, frustrating sometimes if it's long legs away from my wife, but um, I love it. I mean, I love I love being on the road. So it's all good with me. What do you What do you like about being on the road? Some people get really bogged down in the travel and 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 whatnot. But you, I, you must you enjoy the shows. I assume. I enjoy the shows a lot. It's remarkable how uh, little overhead or how how little is in your way from bringing comedy to people when you're on the road it's like it's just you just go you know i was in hal i was in portland halifax ottawa then um did a show at cornell university in ithaca and it's like you know it's uh there's absolutely no one um standing in the way of anything you do now i'm not anything near a controversial comic but it's still it's it's just remarkable i also get to see all these places and then in terms of i just I, I live better on the road it's just like clean living i don't know why um having a show every night just structures everything yeah you like you, you find that you i i find that's myself i'm more conscious about eating well and getting my rest. I eat well, and I go to a gymnasium every day when I'm on the road. And uh, I remember to return emails. And <laughs> the only thing to do is the show at night, which is a huge deal, but it's also only a couple hours. So um, the day is kind of yours to catch up on all the things that are hard to catch up on. It's true. It's true. I, I'm more email efficient as well when I'm on the road. It's just because... Yeah, because you're, you're in a hotel room and there's absolutely nothing to distract you, really. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So how are things... If you're relentlessly boring like I am. I mean, like, I know there's people who could find distraction. <laughs> no, but it's good. It's good to catch up on all that stuff you miss out on when you're at your when you're doing your regular life stuff, for sure. Uh, what's the mood in Los Angeles like these days? What's going on in the city? There's an, there's a vote today, so people are going out to vote on some propositions. So, well, I have basically lived in California now for, I guess, two and a half years. Uh-huh. The propositions are really fun because you're voting on specific rules <laughs> or specific ideas. And so the uh, going to vote is a lot more fun because you form like a strong opinion on whether like plastic bags should be sold in the city and whether 10 cents... Um, from them should be given to the homeless. And obviously, uh, yes to the second, and I don't know to the first. But um, I enjoy California elections, so it's an election day in California, and that's exciting. So are, were those the actual propositions you were supposed no, to No, that was the last time. There's oh. one on civilian review boards for police, Proposition C. That's up today. Okay, did you vote? I'm going in as soon as this is over. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's good. And and what about the mood in the country? You're you're an American human man, so yes. When I have American human men and women and and other people on the show, I, I try to ask them about how they're grappling with uh, what's going on. And uh, I yeah, I have a lot of respect for you and your thoughts and opinions. How oh, are you? that's nice you. I don't know why, but thank you. <laughs> well, how are you making out there with what's going on? Well, I have many thoughts about it. You know, if it weren't hurting people, it would be hilarious. Uh, and if you imagine if you agreed with his politics, how exciting... <laughs> How exciting someone like this would be. Imagine if he were benign, how funny it would all be. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like eight months ago, imagine eight months ago, maybe nine months ago. 
He wasn't benign then. No, you're right. He wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't been benign for ever, really. Yeah. I mean, he's doing this line of this stuff since the 1980s. He took out a full page ad against the Central Park Five then. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, one thing I think people might not admit, and again, I'm in a privileged position where I am not directly threatened by this guy, at least yet. But, and I recognize that, so I'm not trying to make light of it. But like, for many people, I think the past two days and everything that's happened are like semi-exhilarating because uh, at least he's not good at it. Yeah. Like, at least he's bad at the job to a degree that's terrifying, but also might bring him down. I don't know what to think about it. I've been saying on stage that it's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. <laughs> like, I think everything will end okay, but I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> well, <laughs> like a horse, like a horse running and loose. And that's funny. I'm a horse loose in a hospital is very funny, but it could like, you know, it could knock over all the incubators and stuff. It's both terrifying and also... Funny, but I can't say anyone knows what's going to happen next. I, and no one, and, and, it, and it's, it's kind of, uh, there's a great humility among everyone because, you know, on the news they'll be like, oh, we, you know, we're joined by someone who once saw a bird in an airport. And you're like, that's not the same as a horse loose in a hospital. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you are not directly threatened by this man and his regime at this point. And I presume you were alluding to the fact that you're a, a, a young, wealthy, white man. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw wealthy in there. But sure, yeah. Well, I, you're, yeah, I, I'm, I didn't mean to insinuate yeah. anything either. I don't know how no, you're living, no, no, no. but. No, doing very well. You're doing but, pretty um, well, yeah. I'm doing pretty well. And uh, <laughs> I am a very much a white uh young man um that part was so, accurate all of it was accurate right. <laughs> but my my point here is though is that uh, there was the thing recently which i don't think i don't think this thing has been resolved where stephen colbert as a comedian said something about trump and now the fcc is investigating comedy they're investigating the comment he made they're investigating not only the comment he made, but they're actually investigating comedy. The actual, they're investigating a joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would think as a person who tells jokes for a living, this gives you some pause. Absolutely. I mean, as, as, I mean, I think just the general statement from the president about opening up, quote, the libel laws, which is not a thing, uh... They are, they are not one, they're, they're normally local statutes and not, uh, or I believe, th there's not a federal libel law that he can change. Right. But that gave me more pause than the Colbert thing specifically. Now, truth be told, I don't know a lot about the Colbert story, but um, yeah, the very notion of like going after journalists and then what's to stop him from going after anyone on social media, because that's you know what I'm, I, that's some form of published material mm -hmm. yes now that you mention it because uh, I haven't fixated too much on the Colbert story it's it's tremendously uh, the timing is scary and bizarre well one of the reasons I brought that up is because I saw that you were actively tweeting about Hassan Minaj's remarks at the White House Correspondents Dinner 
And yes. I, why why was that exactly? Were you were you involved in that event as a writer or anything? Or were you oh, just... I I helped him with a few jokes, but um, I'm just a friend of his and a fan of his uh, work. So I was um, happy that he gave the address that he gave. I thought it was really funny, and I thought there were moments of it that were very important. And I also that event in the U.S. You could look at it I, I, I totally understandably look at it from one of two ways. One is that it's this gross dinner where all these press people laugh it up with the president. And it sort of shows that there's no real line between politicians and journalists and everyone just wants to be friends. And um, it's it has an unsavory quality to it. And many journalists and many publications have said that over the past 20, 25 years. Yeah. Um, and that's totally fair and that is probably they would have more insight into it but as a viewer who watches it on tv just as an american citizen who watches it it's a night where you get to make fun of the president to his face and that's an important thing so as corny as it sounds i always thought that the correspondence dinner had some importance for people um even though i completely respect those closer to the event who object to it on the on the journalist side um, that the president backed out of a night that's normally just good humor was so telling going back to the Colbert thing. I mean, that was more, that was like, oh, so you literally can't take a joke is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that Hassan did a great job and I thought that, you know, he, he did a great job and what was great about that is it, maybe it helped, you know, protect that event. Um, for future years, um, yeah. Again, it sounds so corny, and 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 I'm not. You know, I understand uh, it's not uh, the end all be all. The White House Correspondents' Dinner, but I thought having someone um, really funny and really smart, um, who's you know the the child of of who's a you know first generation. Uh, Muslim was really important, and I also just thought he was funny. So I I took the huge step of tweeting about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just noticed it. I noticed it was one of the things you were very actively behind. And as I say, with what's in the air right now in terms of the role that comedy has been perceived to play in this whole saga, because I think Trump certainly campaigning, and he has done so at, at his uh, rallies since winning. He does behave a bit like a bad comedian, don't you think? Um, I think those days are over. He had kind of like a comedy, like a Vegasy comedy rhythm during the campaign. Yeah. Um, and I and I will admit, having been fascinated by him for a long time, I remember talking with other stand-ups about how the rhythm of it was hilarious and and the things he was saying were god awful, but like. There was something for a moment, if you wanted to comfort yourself, that was like, isn't this funny that this idiot is talking? Um, as Anthony, Atam Anthony Atamanik, who plays Donald Trump on The President Show, calls it the rhythm of an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that sort of Vegasy, like almost like Rodney Dangerfield vibe he, was, he had during the campaign seems to be gone. Um, he seems both exhausted, sour completely distractible yeah. and uh, wildly incompetent all at once. 
But when, um, when I think about the the characters and the and the television shows that have been embroiled in this story, when I think about the controversy about we've talked about Colbert, we've talked about Fallon. Oh no, we haven't talked about Fallon. There was the Jimmy Fallon thing where Fallon was thought to have uh, you know sold himself out a little bit by treating Trump with kid gloves. Of course, SNL's role in the political news cycle since. Uh, you know, when these campaigns began, has been really at the forefront of coverage. It's very weird. Do you do you think critics and fans have overblown the role of comedy, or specifically because you work there, of Saturday Night Live and, and how it engages with politics right now? Oh, I personally don't find the coverage more or less excessive on the SNL side than it was sometimes in the past. I started in 2008 in August when that September Tina Fey came on to play Sarah Palin and that seemed like, granted I was new to the job so I was just absorbing everything about it at once, but that seemed like this non-stop conversation that was great. But yeah, I'm always always surprised by uh, comedy shows being so talked about. Um, I think a lot of people who do that work are just because we stress over whether these takes are interesting and new and stuff. And so when people explode over one, it's a nice feeling. But uh, I have personally, maybe I'm way too inside to judge. I thought that since the Jon Stewart years and since seeing that, you know, SNL Palin thing up close, that comedy shows have been written about a lot in terms of politics to the point that like it's assumed, uh, comedy shows, late night hosts, and stand-up comedians will have a take on every current event. Yeah. Which is a fair amount of pressure to put on someone who's mostly trying to make, or, or, or yeah, a group of people when, trying to make oh, people yeah. laugh, right? When, especially when every 10 minutes there's a thing you could have a take on. I mean, I'm sort of happy that I, in general, am not that political and can, like, you know... My comedy's kind of sitting in a hammock most of the day, <laughs> which is, you know, just like, I don't know how I'd keep up if I did do that. Well, it's interesting you say that because you called your last special The Comeback Kid, which is yes. Bill Clinton's nickname. Uh, the name he called, called that when he was 43, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always liked that, that he called himself a kid when he was 43. <laughs> well, Clinton figures heavily in a key bit from the special uh, where you talk about his friendship with uh, your mother when they were a col- <laughs> when they were at college. Well, it's, is it a friendship? Yeah. They, they were acquaintances at college, right? They were acquaintances. No, it's, it's that story is the extent of their relationship. <laughs> Are they still friendly? Like, uh, no, uh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I, they haven't seen each other. I don't think. <laughs> um, I'm laughing if this is in print. Um, they haven't <laughs> seen each other um, since uh, that night in '92. Yeah, in the bit you talk about meeting him yourself in '92 when you were a little kid, and and yeah. you you've not reconnected with him since then. No, um, I haven't. No, I haven't been at anything that he's at. I I was only pausing because I've been at like a USO thing here or there, but I was. I no, I have not. I have not been near Bill Clinton, <laughs> and I'm only explaining the pause in case that pause seemed odd to not remember if you'd seen Bill Clinton since 1992. Well, you've been He's such a litigious figure that you have to kind of you have to couch all your answers. 
But you, just to be clear for people who don't know, you have been in the presence of President Obama and Michelle Obama, right? Yeah, I met I've met them a couple times, um, which is very exciting. Um, first at the aforementioned White House Correspondents Dinner in 2011, and then um, I got to see the First Lady again in. Um, Doha in Qatar at the Al Udeid uh, Air Base. I was there with Conan O'Brien doing a show, and then saw both uh, the former president and former first lady at Andrews Air Force Base for a really incredibly stacked, amazing USO show that happened, uh, I guess, over a year ago, just about a year ago this time. Is there a, a particular compulsion for you to to take part in these USO shows? Well. I really love doing it. I mean, I I went to um, this first one as part of the First Ladies Joining Forces group. The former First Ladies, uh, what a shame! Um, the former First Ladies Joining Forces group um, that she and Dr. Jill Biden had founded, and it was in conjunction with the USO, but it also did amazing work for families and spouses of servicemen and women. So. They would do things like make sure you could find housing when your spouse moved to a different base. But more importantly, like make sure that like if you had a cosmetology license or if you had a teaching license or if you needed accreditation in a different state as your spouse moved around due to being in the armed forces, that you were covered, um, that you could have a job, that your kids were covered in school, that things carried over. It was really specific and important work. And I really enjoyed doing shows with them. And it's very, it is, uh, again, I don't mean to be Frank Capra, but it's extremely gratifying to do shows um, at military bases. It's just uh, everyone, you know, people, if, if the crowds enjoy them, it's great. And, and you definitely do feel uh, very good doing them. Within what you were just saying, you you invoked empathy and uh, and decorum, and you you longed for Michelle Obama's reign as the first lady. Are you sentimental enough, or or too realistic maybe, to say that you you miss them? You miss the Obamas at this point. I miss the Obamas terribly. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't, sorry if I'm holding my tongue too much. I miss them terribly, yes. Okay, because, you know, there's some people who are like, well, that's just, you know, you can't get mired in that stuff because you're just going to... Oh, I get that. I understand. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps there's a really lousy tonic for all of us to drink about um, ever really investing ourselves too personally in the person of the politician. But certainly was a great, certainly is a great man, and she's certainly a great woman. So I don't I don't mind saying that I miss them uh, <laughs> running the country. They they were the coolest political bar none couple that I can recall. Bar none, bar none, right? They, it was really you were quite spoiled. And, and I'm an Irish Catholic. I couldn't be more interested in the Kennedys, but um, <laughs> no, they're the coolest. Yeah. They were cool. And that's that's, by the way, I, I mentioned the Obamas because when I asked you if you had been in the presence of Bill Clinton, it's not that far fetched, really, in a way that you might be. You did. You did meet him the one time. So I just wondered if he was aware, yeah, yeah. you know, if he was aware of these stories you've been telling since. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't 
<laughs> but I mean, if you're Bill Clinton, I'd imagine the amount of comedy done about you, you can't absorb it all. You had to put up a wall years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I think. You, you come from a Have pl- you met Trudeau? Have I met Justin Trudeau? I have. I apologize. I, I said his last name as if I know him well. <laughs> <laughs> I met uh, just. You know what's funny is the last time I told the story it was to Hassan Minaj on this show, and oh, what? what happened was uh, many years ago there was there's an award we have a we have the Grammys in Canada is called the Junos. Have you heard of the Junos? Yeah. You have the one that's the Emmys and Oscars together. No, no, that's the Gemini's. The Gemini's, right? I've heard of the Gemini's and the Junos. Okay, wow, that's amazing. Why have you heard of the? Ju- that's amazing to me. You're just above us. It's not that far away. That's true. I'm just not used to, you know, people from your country knowing anything about us. So it's. Uh, oh, I have friends from Much Music. I have. Uh, I have all people all over Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, Tim. Do you know Tim McAuliffe? I don't know Tim McAuliffe. Oh, sorry. No, I was just kidding. My friend Amanda <laughs> Walsh was on Much Music. Oh. Um, I'm. 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 Joking that I have spies all around here. <laughs> well, the occasion was the Junos were in Ottawa about five years ago, six years ago, and uh, Justin Trudeau engaged in a boxing match with another politician. Did you hear about that? No, I don't know much about that. Well, he was in a charity boxing match. They had some animosity, he and the conservative uh, MP or whatever, the candidate. And so they, they decided they'd have a charity boxing match, and it happened to be the weekend of the Junos. It's like 2 in the morning. I'm going into a hotel with the Canadian iconic rock band Blue Rodeo. I'm just walking into a hotel, and an SUV pulls up, and Justin Trudeau just hops out in, like, gym gear, and I say, yes. I scream at him. It's 2 in the morning. I just scream, hey, man, did you win? And he went, yeah, I did. And then we just ran to each other and embraced you were excited he won? Yeah, I didn't even care, but I just was stoked that he was there, and I was a big yeah. fan of his dad, you know. Of course. And what position did um, Justin Trudeau occupy at that time of the boxing match? Was he in office? Was he a minister of some kind? Yeah, that's right. He would have been, I can't recall exactly, but I think he was right. an MP or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. So uh, Good for him, man. I didn't know that. Good for him. What about me? I met, I hugged, I hugged a now prime minister of a country. Good. Taking, you know, I really do admire that you just yelled out, "Did you win?" <laughs> well, why not? It was an exciting why day. Not, indeed. Why not? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons you you say you're not that politically uh, engaged, maybe as a comedian, but you come from a politically engaged family. Your parents are lawyers uh, and involved in politics on some level. Has that lineage, like, has that affected your? Oh, my parents aren't involved in politics per se. Um... Your family was right. My mother's, my great uncle and my great grandfather were both congressmen from Massachusetts's sixth district. Yes, that sounds engaged. That's engaged. I just meant that my parents themselves are not. Um, they are very politically aware and minded. Right. Um, they are the, not themselves uh, politicians. Your father is not a big, big. Not he's not a big Bill Clinton fan, as I recall. Um. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> More about his reputation on campus, as I recall, from your bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, well, I a lot. I mean, look, would that we were back then now, but <laughs> a lot of us weren't huge fans of him by the very end. Right. Of course. Right. Right. So, your family's relationship to politics did that influence how you might approach politics in your own work as a comedian? It did not. Um, you know, my uh, 
only because politics, I think, has changed so much since the late 1940s and 1960s when my mother's side was, you know, in in the U.S. Congress. Um, I think it might... I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say it's had a prof- uh, profound effect on me. Although I'm, I'm very sort of, uh, yeah. It's, I'd say I, I, I get a kick out of being related to that. But um, I don't uh, think it's affected how I see politicians in terms of talking about them in, in comedy. Some exposure I had to politicians working at Saturday Night Live, I would say, did, in that I have an appreciation for how exhausted they are from fundraising mm-hmm. and how, you know, when someone's like, my favorite things are when they rush a congressperson coming out of the Capitol with a news story and ask for their quote on something. And you can just see in their eyes this look of like, holy God, what? Like, they're finding out about it on their feet. Yeah. They congressman or woman. They have to have a statement. Um, they have to... Uh, like craft everything. And it was interesting seeing candidates that would come on Saturday Night Live and seeing the look in their eyes of just absolute fatigue. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's my sense when I hear politicians talk other than maybe on meet the press when they've had a night's sleep. Uh, that's our Sunday morning show. I don't, I, I'm always just like, Oh, they're exhausted. (laughs) Don't, Don't listen to what they say. I wonder about whether or not you consider yourself apolitical as an entertainer, because when no, I was, not really, you don't, but, but I don't, I'm more interested in, honestly, it's not all that noble. I, I just don't, I just kind of like comedy that might age well. Right. I like it as a listener. It's not strategic. I, I've always enjoyed being able to listen to a comedy album from like 1961 and really laugh at it. And then I have respect for comedy that dated, that was about, you know, Khrushchev, Kate Smith, Nixon, Agnew, whatever. But I myself sort of tend towards trying to have stuff uh, that if one wanted to listen to it in a few years, it, it, it wouldn't have dated that much. Maybe that's why I say I'm not political is more, I'm just trying to not be too current. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's fair. Like when I watch, I've I've been in awe (laughs) of Seth Meyers, a closer look segment because I can see how much effort and he's making it look pretty effortless. I find, but I know how much energy is going into those jokes. It's nuts. Yeah. No, he's a very, very thorough writer and, and it is effortless in how funny he is, but they also, they try to have, uh, and I remember from working with him, he always tried to have the best take and would discard a lot of things that I might be like, that's fine, let's just go with that. Um, he always wanted to pursue the smartest, best take on things. Yeah, to, to put that much effort into something that's really only going to be fresh for 24 hours is remarkable to me. Well, on a nightly show, I think you have to make peace with that yeah. in general. One of the reasons I bring this up is because when I saw your show, Mulaney, your TV show, uh-huh. I could not help but think of its relationship with the television program Seinfeld. Yes, you're not the only one. <laughs> right. And I'm curious about your relationship. Many of the things you were just saying about trying to conjure timeless material 
and not necessarily talk simply of the news of the day, it reminded me and continues to remind me. I mean, you remind me a little bit of Jerry Seinfeld. I hope this doesn't bother you, but I just am curious. No, I'm a fan of his. You, uh, dude. <laughs> okay. I, is that, is it, is it, it's, it seems obvious, but I, I want to ask you about your relationship with Jerry Seinfeld and his work. What, what is, what, where does this stem from your affection for him? Oh, well, look, if I were to fill out a form of like your influences, I normally think about people that I maybe specifically their style felt like, oh, I could do that. And I might try to think of names of people that are not pure stand-ups because I think, oh, well, sometimes I'll do sort of character bits. And I might make you a list of people that is, you know, impressive and interesting and makes me sound more interesting than I am. But I might, I might not remember that, like, Jerry Seinfeld's comedy and voice was a weekly part of my life for nine years, formative years, from age seven to um, 15, 16. I mean, that to me, like, was what a sh- TV show sounded like. And he was what a stand-up. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN comedian sounded like and at the same time i was collecting albums of other comedians and 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 bring the pain and bigger and blacker came out and chris rock and dave Chappelle and all these people were i was huge fans of but somewhere in the back of my mind just the sort of metronome of what a comedy tv sounded like was seinfeld so i can't underestimate how much that's in my brain, which is a long-winded way of saying he's an influence. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's an influence on, on myself and, 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 and for sure. I mean, I... But I don't know. You know I th- I, there's many people for whom this is true for Howard Stern, too, is you just cannot... You may think, well, my influences are these five people whose work really, you know, in my adult or teen adult years, I really... But, like, you can't underestimate the people that you just listen to every day and whose rhythms you've absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he has taken – he's been rejected in some ways by you, – you, you made, you made a, a pivot towards a list that you might be asked to make and how you might talk about sort of cooler people. But Jerry, no, I didn't mean that at all. Okay. I meant that sometimes people are such a given oh. that – you don't immediately think, oh yes, of my three influences, that was a that was one. Okay, um, and I uh, yes, just to set the record straight, yeah. I didn't mean I would pick like uh, you know 
Bill Hicks and David Byrne just to sound uh, cool. No, I, I I meant more that like he's so internalized uh, as I think he is with a lot of people in my generation. Yeah, and 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 for me as well. But I I have been fascinated to see him endure these these backlashes lately uh, for his statements when he's been outspoken about political correctness or or even made poor judgment <laughs> calls when he's tweeted or or whatnot. There seems to be a he's in he's in a weird phase. I think in some ways he's very successful. He's doing fine, but I think there is this sense that he's a bit out of touch somehow. I don't uh, share that. I, I'm i aware of times when statements he said get a lot of press. Uh, I saw him at the Pantage a little over a year ago, and he was hilarious. I mean, he's destroying for an hour. Yeah. So he's, he's uh, definitely not in a weird phase as a comedian. I think the culture goes through cycles. With people, but I I really don't even know if it is with him. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I I, t- I, I, I think sometimes those stories. This you know, for me personally, if, if it affected a bunch of other people, I don't know. But I saw that kind of come and go. Like, oh yes, sometimes people question statements, and then that moves on. Sure. Uh, and uh, I I I still watch the show whenever I flip past it. So I would say he's still quite a constant and still really killing on stage. Do you, do you have some perspective on the short run that Mulaney had? You mentioned that people saw the Seinfeld uh, references <laughs> and, and influence, but uh, that, that was a, that was, there was some homage to Seinfeld as a, structurally I would say, but do you have any perspective on yeah. And we had, uh, oh, you know, very overt references to it in it. Yeah, to- uh, totally. Do, go, you have, do you have perspective? Would you have perspective on the show now that it's on the thing? Yeah. Some I have the perspective of three years since three years. Has it been three? Fall of fourteen. Yeah, fall oh. of fourteen. No, so almost three years since it went off the air and. Uh, I've, you know, lots of perspective in different ways. Um, it was a tremendous learning experience. So, yes, but I think all human beings, you know, I'm still getting perspective on things that happened to me when I was like seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So I just, I was sad that it didn't, uh, you know, succeed on a larger level. As was I at the time. As was I at the time. Everything happened the right way. Everything hap- Everything that happened after, I'm very happy about. What, what, uh, what kinds of things happened after? I learned not to... What I, I learned more what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on tour the two nights after it was canceled. No, it, they shut down production and I went on tour two nights later. Wow. That whole year led up to the special I filmed in May. I guess it was May. So it got canceled in October and I filmed the special in May. Wow. So that was a busy time. <laughs> and then I, I started developing this theater show, uh, Oh Hello, with Nick Kroll, which was our favorite characters to do ever, <laughs> we do um, off-Broadway and on-Broadway. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not just trying to list things. I'm not just trying to list my resume. 
I've only done things since then that I want to do and like to do. Uh, and that has made me, uh, I was happy then. It's made me much happier and much more fulfilled. I, I, I want to mention that you're, you're co-hosting of the, is it the Independent Spirit Film Awards? Do I have that right? You have to say the Film Independent Spirit Awards, I guess. What? Okay. The they f- told us that. We always called them the Independent Spirit Awards. They had to say you had to call it the Film Independent Spirit Awards. Well, whatever it was, you guys were fantastic. Thank you very much. That's one of my favorite uh, award show monologues of all time, if I might say. Oh, wow. That's, I'll take that. Of all time. Like not, I've, I've watched, I'm almost 40. I've seen a lot of, it's great. <laughs> I shared the heck out of that thing. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It was genuinely really fun to do. Is that nerve-wracking? Because you got to go in. You There's another thing you did that reminded me of Jerry, where you kind of made fun of acting. Do you have a do you have any disdain for acting? Oh, no, I was trying to make fun of my relationship towards acting, <laughs> okay. which is the um, a, a posturing, like I think it's just being playing pretend, but I desperately want to do it well. <laughs> um, and and we weren't planning on doing that moment where where Nick says you're a very good actor. We had done it in rehearsal. And then I was like, maybe we shouldn't do that because I won't be able in the moment to, <laughs> I'll be too nervous to, to display fake acting. It was good. Uh, to the level, to the level I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, we were, I was nervous right before we walked out because it was live and it was in the afternoon. And there's something about that that's very disconcerting. <laughs> like at 2 p.m. to suddenly be on live TV. So I just looked at Nick and I said, I'm very afraid. And then we walked out. It's kind of outdoors, is it? It's in a tent. It's enclosed, but you're absolutely right. It's kind of outdoors. Right. Okay. Because that can be weird for comedy. <laughs> That's a weird thing for comedy because the laughter uh, dissipates. More than the tent, it's the horizontal nature of the tent. You're playing to such a wide room as opposed to a deep room. Right. So you kind of look almost profile to your right or left to the camera right. to see it. Yeah, that's what it that's what it looked like. But you two, you you handled yourself well, and I I enjoyed I enjoyed it very much. Now, oh hello, and Nick Kroll, can you talk about these things? These this guy and that thing. <laughs> can you talk about these things? <laughs> um, doing oh hello with Nick Kroll was the best experience of my uh, career, and and close to the best experience of my life. Um, it was uh, so fun to conceive of. And then to do off-Broadway was such a thrill. And then to be able to take it to Broadway was like, we just were, we were in such rare air for, uh, for two people doing Oh Hello. <laughs> oh Hello is two characters. Um, I play a character named George St. Geegland and his, uh, he plays a character named Gil Faison. They're two men in their 70s who are um, New York uh, leeches. Uh, and they live in a rent-controlled apartment, and they are—they uh, would be self-proclaimed experts in the fields of acting, writing, and then art, film, culture, politics, and the entire world. They're—they're—they're they're, they're sort of like the the Muppet Show guys. Oh well, those guys just insult things. I think Gil and George <laughs> themselves uh, to have a, a broader worldview, right? But they. Muppets, I'll give you that. Yeah, they seem like... So where did... Do you know these people? Like, do you know these guys? That Were you inspired by real real old... Millions of them. Yeah. Uh, we saw two guys specifically at this place called the Strand Bookstore, which is a big used bookstore in Manhattan, whose slogan is um, 12 miles of books, and as we used to say, an eight miles of loneliness. 
Um, and they were each buying Alan Alda's autobiography, which is called Never Have Your Dog Stuff. Now, they were like turtleneck and blazer guys. Something about a turtleneck and blazer always makes me laugh. It's just, it's a really whack look. Um, unless you're James Bond, don't do it. Right. Um, and so we were interested in them, but there were tidbits of many, many people we've both met over the years that informed those guys, including ourselves. So is is it a thing from the, is that in the past? Can you bring Oh Hello to a wider audience? Is there, are there plans? Well, the, the, um, the same month that the Comeback Kid album comes out, the Oh Hello special is coming out on Netflix. So this June. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And it's, is it just simply capturing? It captures the Broadway show as it was. Filmed okay. on inauguration day, 2017. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, bummer, man. It just happened to work out that way. Now, I know you're a fan of improvisation. Uh, that's that's something that people know you for, at least as a writer. Was it a, the same show every night? No, we had a different guest every night. A good 20 to 30 minutes of the show would be improvised every night, um, which was, uh, in retrospect, really fun i think at the time sometimes it was daunting but we would do a segment of the show where we had a guest come be on our character's fake local public access prank show called too much tuna um where they give someone an enormous tuna sandwich right uh and so that interview sometimes ran 20 25 minutes and then we'd have a we'd have sort of a post-op where we would talk about the interview (laughs) later so there was always a good uh, that's if that's if we weren't throwing in other stuff at each other to make each other laugh and throw each other off. Um, you know, it gradually some things get honed a little, but we were always flying pretty loose for twenty to thirty minutes. That's amazing. I can't wait to see this. I I think I vaguely knew this and I'd forgotten as we were talking that it was coming out. I forgot too, and I'm excited. <laughs> now we're both excited by the same. Now thing. we're both excited about it. So you're bringing the comeback kid. You mentioned the comeback kid. You're bringing it to uh, Chicago's. I don't want to insult anyone, but Chicago's finest label, Drag City Records. Absolutely. Now, why drag? Why Drag City? I really like the work they put out, and uh, I really like. I, I like the people there. I like the way they care about music, and I like the way they treat and care about the artists on their label. And I needed a record label, and I picked them. <laughs> are, are, you, are you a big music fan? Oh, yeah, sure. Isn't everyone? No, that's not true. Some people aren't. No. I know people that aren't. No, I, I, uh, I end up talking to musicians a lot, and we talk a lot about how we're not sure if people are really music fans anymore. And it, some of us are old, so we talk like that. You know, like, our kids today, you know, we do that thing. For real? But do you think people are straight up not music fans or they're not, they don't delve? No, uh, it's actually not necessarily about the people. It's more about how we consume. That's usually where we go. I just had uh, Drag City recording star Bonnie Prince Billy on this show. You had Bonnie Prince Billy on the show? Oh, great. Third time on the show, John. Third time. Very good. I've I've never had him on a show and I've never had a show. (laughs) Yeah. Are you a fan of Will Oldham and his work? Yes. I am. Yeah. So Will and I, Will and I always have these very long conversations about kind of cultural and material conditions, and we were talking a lot about why he was. He just uh, he released a record uh, commemorating the work of uh, Merle Haggard, and uh, he said one of the reasons he did this was 
to kind of remind people of music because he feels like it's not being taken care of uh, very well anymore by people who are just trying to put it out in any any which way, you know? Yeah. It's kind of background background noise. I don't want to take you down the same road I went down with Will, but Drag City, this is, I think of Drag City as caring a lot about those things as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So And protecting artists from... Look, there's look. Music is going to be digitized. That's not up for debate. But protecting artists from the types of streaming services that really aren't looking out for them at all, and in many cases exploiting them, and then also embracing those. You know, look, they're not. You know, embracing places that do it correctly for the artists and for the songwriters. Um, I just they just have a. They also put out great stuff. It's not the, solely on their principles. More because they put out really great stuff. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's true. I, I don't know. I'd be curious. You know, I, I have some friends that are musicians, but um, I don't know enough about how they feel everything has changed. Because even, in, you know, I remember when Napster came out, and that was uh, 16, 17 years ago. So... The, the 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 moment that I personally thought, oh, the music business is changing is so long ago that I haven't, you know, seen it through the eyes of a musician. Did he feel like people only cared about, like, top 40? Or he thought that, like, no one appreciated music because it's all free? Or what was his perspective? Well, we we talked about a lot of different things. And one of the things that we touched upon was just the the, the kind of psychological mania that is created by these <coughs> these kind of pronouncements that all music is available on Spotify or all music is available on Apple Music or, hey, there's a new Netflix show. Here's the entire show. It creates this kind of frenetic mania within us to be like, everything, yeah, how am I going to keep up, you know? And, and, and what happens, what I was trying to argue a little bit is that I find myself, I wasn't trying to speak on behalf of anyone else, I have a harder time investing in a record or a TV show or a film. Like, I've watched The Godfather, I'm not kidding, probably a million times. And, uh-huh. and these days I feel like we're encouraged to be like, oh, hey, the Kendrick Lamar record just came out and you've got to process it as quickly as possible before we start telling you about the next thing or here's, right. here's all of Master of None. So it kind of shifts our ability if we're if you don't have the self if you want to be social about it and be able to keep up with everything you're kind of encouraged to move on as quickly as possible it's like a marketing ploy has run amok you know that's what you know what i, I mean? guess yeah, yeah. It, it it seems like it I, I i more notice it when there's not a new show um like sometimes it's like for two years, my wife and I will have a thing to watch, and then we like hit ground where we're like, "Wait a second, where are our shows?" And in any other world, that two years of viewing would have been spaced out to take four hundred years. But now you can watch everything in a weekend. So yes, I I only notice it when I've run out of the material. Right. The, the way a drug addict might only notice drugs when they run out of them. Right. That's a good analogy because I think the drug dealers are. Uh, hip to this and yes. they're just quickly giving yeah, us well, another there's better there's no better business to model yourself on <laughs> the drug business we're getting uh, involuntarily re-upped yeah 
other than the wedding business, there is no better business than the drug business. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, anyway, again, I I encourage you, John, if you're if you're uh, if you're bored and want to listen to an old episode of this podcast from a week ago, doing Will Oldham. It's 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 okay. It's pretty good. I'm going to listen to it. Okay, I appreciate that. Now you're coming to Canada. Uh, you've been to Canada, but you're going to be going across <laughs> parts of Canada. Yes. And you know people in Canada. We've already established that, that you know the Junos, the Geminis, and much music people. I know. Yeah, they've all moved here. <laughs> so I know I know people from Canada. But I know you now. And uh, oh, there's got to be people up there. You're you're a fan of Canada? Yeah, I love it. It's kind of like America, isn't it? No. Oh. I find it... Um, uh, well, there's parts of it. Toronto and Chicago have a lot in common. They seem like sister cities, don't they? Montreal seems like, uh, in a great way, a different place. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think they have unique characters. Um, it looks a little like America, but so does Australia. But do you like Australia as much as you like Canada? No, I've only been there once for nine days. I've been to Melbourne, so I... I at this point, I have to say I like Canada more. <laughs> well, we're and are you playing places you haven't played before? Yeah, oh yeah, I had never done. Um, I'd never done Halifax, the Rebecca Cohn Auditorium there, and then the National um, Arts Center in Ottawa was beautiful. It was so funny though because it's like all the hotels in Ottawa look like chateaus. And then the art center is just like a huge socialist prison <laughs> with a beautiful theater inside. But it's it, the outside of the building was mystifying. There were like a thousand entrances. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I always enjoy going to the um, Juste Pourrir Festival in Montreal and uh, love playing Toronto as well. You actually you, you invoke the French. That's a, that's remarkable. Please. It's the least I can do. <laughs> Todd Glass was on my show relatively recently talking about how he thinks Canadian audiences are are better than most other audiences. I don't know if he was just saying that to be a, a kiss ass, but do you actually discern? Can you do you do you discern a difference when you're in Canada and facing a Canadian audience than than other places? I can't say I have anything profound to offer on that side of it. Um... I was going to say for a moment that Canadian audiences are, are I, I can't think of one that was not attentive, but I've also done late night shows in Montreal where they're very inattentive. Right. So it's the context. You're playing a nice soft seat theater. You're probably in Canada. People are probably going to be polite and attentive. That's what we think. Yeah. Okay. That's, what we, okay. <laughs> that's our theory. Well, we're looking forward to having you back here. And, and, uh, I can't wait to be there. Yeah. I saw that you're, you're going to be part of Nick Kroll's Big Mouth Project. Is that right? Yes, I do a voice on it. We're we're currently recording season two. So the first season will be out in the fall. And I play um, a character named Andrew, who is Nick's character, Nick's best friend growing up. And the show was created by Nick Kroll uh, and Andrew Goldberg, who were best friends growing up. Okay, it's a, and it's, a car, it's an animated show, you say? It's an animated show, yes. Okay. We're, we're recording the voices for season two right now. And it's... You're enjoying it? It's fun? It's great. It's a really, really amazing cast. It is very fun to play Nick's. As Nick's, as one of, I will go ahead and say I'm one of Nick's, or I will say I am Nick's best friend, and if he disputes it, I'll be Harper. <laughs> <laughs> very, very childhood best friend as well. Oh, really? Uh, 
And also, it's it, it's an amazing group uh, cast-wise and such a funny group of writers. And uh, the show is wildly, sometimes jaw-droppingly uh, candid look at puberty. Uh, jaw-dropping for me. Uh, but also very warm and very funny. Is it geared towards younger people or adults? or It's geared towards exactly how... Um, emotional and filthy you are when you're 13. <laughs> I would have really enjoyed it when I was 13. Okay. Well, and what network is it on? Netflix. Oh, the Netflix network. Yeah. Wow. Netflix, all team, you know. This is great. I get to watch that then. I don't have to, you know, some of the channels you have in America, we don't have up here. Yes, and you don't have some of our other streaming services, which is okay. Hulu, it's, and yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Hulu, yeah. 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 Uh, well, you're putting out The Comeback Kid on Drag City, which is an, it's an older special. It's two years old, I think. Uh, yes, so, yeah. But uh, now, now we are at a point where we were able to release it as an album. Yeah. It, had a, it continues to have a nice life on Netflix, and that it was a Netflix original. So we wanted to wait a little, everyone collectively, and I'm very excited. It's going to be on vinyl and uh, available on CD and elsewhere. Yeah. And do you have future plans for are you working on a, a new special, I assume, with this tour? Yeah, touring now and, and going to record a special um, within the next 12 months, I believe. Great. Awesome. And is there anything about this set, uh, so to speak, that... Uh, you want to give any hints about in terms of what you're covering, what you're talking about? Oh, more adventures from the same idiot. I, I can't <laughs> really a hallmark of it. Okay. Uh, you know, some more yelling. More yelling. Yes, that's fair. That's about all I can really tease. That's fair. That's totally fair. Is there a, a piece, is there a bit from the Comeback Kid that we can go out on here, John? Um, We could do the... Uh, the the bit about getting married, I believe, is titled "Why Buy the Cow." Yes, um, that's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's a long metaphor with some lovely punchlines. You've been married uh, what three years? Uh huh. Um, this July, congratulate. Just July. That's when I got. No wait, never mind. My tenth my tenth wedding anniversary is coming up this June. Oh. This June, what date? June 15th. Why, are you going to get me something? No, now I can crack your password. Oh, damn it. Uh, anyway, yeah, June 15th, 10, 10 years of uh, wedded bliss. Uh, how's, your, how's, your, how's your marriage, John? It's wonderful. I am, I am extremely uh, grateful and thrilled every day that I am married to the most beautiful and coolest uh, woman I've ever met. Uh, that's how I feel, too. So we, we might be at odds now. We might yeah. feel slightly competitive. Yeah, we don't like that we have the same soundbite on that. <laughs> this is uh, Why Buy the Cow from The Comeback Kid, which is out everywhere on Drag City. This is John Mulaney. John, this was uh, an honor and a pleasure. I, I thank you for being on the show and talking to total, me. Total, total pleasure to talk with you, man. And I'm going to go back and listen to Bonnie Prince Billy. And maybe I'll listen to Hassan, too. <laughs> I right. appreciate talk that. You <laughs> See you, buddy. I talked to a lot of people before I got engaged, you know, and I heard this expression about whether or not you should get married. This is an old expression. People say this. They say, uh, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? You ever heard that before? It's a bananas insulting expression <laughs> to an entire gender. But also, it makes no sense. 
Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? You're not allowed to milk a cow that you don't own. That's not even a situation. Was that a problem at one point? Like in the dairy community? Was that happening like a hundred years ago in some village? Some Dutch prick was sneaking in at night being like, ah ha ha, I take your milk. And the farmer was like, well then this is your cow now. And he was like, no, no proof of purchase. And he ran off into the night. That sounded Dutch, right? You know what that, you know what that expression means? It means why would you marry a woman if she's already having sex with you? Which has nothing to do with what relationships are even like anymore. Now it's like, why buy the cow, question mark? Uh, maybe because every day the cow asks you when you're going to buy it. And you live in a really small apartment with the cow, so you can't avoid that question at all. And also the cow is way better at arguing than you are. And the cow grew up in a family that knows how to argue. Why buy the cow, question mark? Uh, maybe because every time another cow gets bought, you have to go to the sale, and you have to sit next to your cow at the sale, and your cow looks over at you the entire time like, and does not enjoy the sale at all. Even though she's the one that wanted to go to the sale. And she's especially mad because that farmer and cow met like eight months after you guys met. Why buy the cow? Well, let's be real here. You're very lucky to have the cow that you do have. They're roping in cows and getting milk out of them was never anything you were known for, John. By the most liberal of estimates, there have been about eight cows total, several unmilked, and... A lot of people think that you like bulls, and if you just buy... They assume it. When you search your name, the third thing to come up is like, John Mulaney bull, question mark? And if you just bought the cow, nobody would say that anymore. They'll still say it. Because there are those guys who they buy a cow, and then on the side, total matador. But... But for real, Chicago, why buy the cow? Let's be real. Why buy the cow? Because you love her. You really do. And yeah, yeah. Sure, she's a bossy little Jew, but... She takes care of you, and you don't want to be some old man stumbling around like, hey, you seen any loose milk? From his new record, The Comeback Kid, that was John Mulaney with Why Buy the Cow? Thanks to John for being on the show. Thanks to Drag City for making it happen and everyone else who made it happen. And uh, yeah, go see John Mulaney. Go watch his stuff and listen to his things. He's a brilliant man. And we both had a cold. I think we had the same cold somehow, even though we were so far away from each other. We had the same chest cold and I still kind of have it. Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he's all right. This is the 322nd episode of Creative Control, the podcast and radio show. As a podcast, you can hear it on every podcast platform there is, I think, at this point. iTunes, Audio Boom, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, every episode ever is available on my website, vishkana.com. So go there if you want more information about the show. Also, you can visit patreon.com. 
slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to the show and view t-shirts that we have as gifts for your pledges. You can like the show on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative. And you can listen to a version of this show on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, around the world at CFRU.ca, or if you're in the area if you're in the area at CFRU 93.3 FM right there in Guelph. Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time is when you can hear the show on the radio. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors, the finest pizzeria in Guelph, Pizza Trocadero, whom you can call for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. Also, the Bookshelf, which is an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, and movie theater located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. And for the finest coffee pretty much anywhere, try Planet Bean Freshly Roasted Fair Trade Certified Organic Coffee. Uh, they have some cafes in Guelph, and they also distribute their coffee beans throughout Ontario, Canada. For more information, visit planetbeancoffee.com. And if you are traveling along the highway and you see Guelph on the roadside sign there, if you're John Mulaney and you're touring, you're doing comedy, whoever you are, come to Guelph. Come on in to town. Take a load off and come into town and we'll treat you right. It's a nice little place. So please consider doing that. All right. That's another episode of this show. And there will still be more episodes to come. I see no reason why not. So thanks for listening. And if you can, tell other people to listen. And please subscribe to the show on all those podcast platforms on all of them, whichever one you use. And uh, and download episodes of the show. That helps. And rate and review the show uh, on iTunes and everywhere else because that helps as well. All right, that's it for me. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.